Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Thank you to our awesome worship team. Uh, God bless you guys. God bless all your effort and work. Fantastic songs that lead us right to the throne of God. I love, love, love worshiping together with you. We are glad you're here. We're completing, we're finishing up today our series that we've been doing. is called The Forgotten Virtue. So whether it's your first time here, you've been here for the entire series, let me just remind you what we're talking about. What is a virtue? These are things that we hold up. These are things that we esteem. These are things that are important to us. These are ideas, or probably better to say ideals, that we say are the most important things in our lives. You say, well, if they're the most important things in your life, how in the world could you forget them? Well, we said last week and even the week before that, you know, things cause us to forget even the most important things in our lives as we we take in new ideas and new thoughts, even new virtues. Sometimes the old virtues from our childhood, our our growing up years, we we, we tend to forget them or, or, or those old Old virtues no longer fit in our new life. We're, we're modern now. We're mature now. We're grown up now. We don't need those old virtues. We need some new virtues. And so we push the old virtues out. But here's the deal. These virtues we've been talking about, they're not some kind of Aesop's fables, Greek philosophy kind of stuff. This is right out of the Bible. These are commands out of God's words. These are not to be forgotten ever. They never go out of style, whether it was purity, whether it was integrity. And then this week, it's thanksgiving or gratitude. What in the world does that mean? How in the world could you forget to be, to be thankful? I mean, even the youngest children are taught this from a very early age. Don't forget to say thank you. Did you say thank you? Go back right now and say thank you. We do it over and over again. So here's the deal. Super simple. This is a thought I want you to go out the door with. If you get this, you get everything, and we're through. Here it is. You ready? Don't forget to say thank you. All right, we'll see you next week. I mean, mean, really, it, it should be that easy. I mean, shouldn't it? And yet it's not, right? I mean, I, I wish it was that easy, but the problem is being thankful, uh, being, having a thankful heart, gratitude, it is not inbred. We are not born with that. It is a learned behavior. Now, some of us learn it faster than others. We have, we have three beautiful daughters, and I remember one of our daughters, I, I will not name her, of course, but she's really beautiful, and she's tall and brilliant like her mommy. She may or may not be the youngest, but I'm, I'm not going to name her. She struggled with this growing up, and so my wife, being the great mommy that she is, she said, this is what we're going to do when she has a day when she's struggling with gratitude, we're going to send her to her room and give her a task. She must list out 50 things she's thankful for. Well, you can imagine how well that went, but this one is so smart, she gets to writing right away. And by the end of this list, I mean, she's thanking God for everything. And God, thank you for the doorknob that's about to open and get me out of my prison. I mean, she would do this. Now, you know, and and that would help and she would learn gratitude. But every kid is different. I don't want to say that she struggled more than the others. 
Although I will say the other two had to do something like this. Well, never. And this little one whose name I will not give you right now, but she had to do it probably like 20 or 25 times. But it doesn't matter. The important thing is she learned gratitude. And we learn this and we, we learn how to say it because saying it is so important. Now, gratitude and being thankful, having a thankful heart is so much more than just saying thank you. But it, it begins with that. That's like the kindergarten version of saying thank you for the things that you receive saying thankful the things that you have, having a heart of gratitude for all that you have received, and then saying thank you back. Because if we don't communicate it, how do they know? I mean, uh, uh, an unexpressed gratitude is kind of like having a beautiful gift that you wrapped in gorgeous paper and even paid money for one of those fancy bows, but you never give it away. I mean, that's unexpressed gratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates in gratitude. And so it is important that we say something, holding our feelings inside and never expressing them is not working. In fact, it reminds me of a, of, a, of, a, of a joke I heard in Germany. Pay attention, there's not many German jokes out there in the world, but this one goes kind of like this. It's a, an older couple, they're celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and so they, they make a trip back to the village where they, where they met, where they fell in love, and so they're kind of walking through the village, and they find the old tree in the middle of the square where they, where they had their first kiss, and so they go and they sit in the same bin where the first time he said to her, I love you, and they're holding hands and kind of whispering back and forth, and suddenly she says to him, hey, shots, that means honey, why don't you ever say I love you anymore? In typical German, he answers back, I told you then, I'll let you know if something changes. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, 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 that wouldn't work in today's culture. That wouldn't work in our today's relationships, whether you're German or American. I don't care where you're from. I mean, we have to communicate that. It's so much more. But, but is, is gratitude and having a thankful heart just about being polite? Just about saying the right things at the right time so everything stays kind of copacetic, minding your P's and your Q's? Is that all it is or is it more? Psalms 104 says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Exactly. So apparently thanksgiving is like the keys to the kingdom. Your thankfulness, your thanksgiving, your words of gratitude literally open the doors to the very presence of God. Your opportunity, your ability to have God's presence right there, tangible, to touch his love, to touch his, his power, to touch his presence, depends on your ability to be thankful. But again, this is a learned behavior. How do we learn it? How do we develop in ourselves, or I should better say, how does God develop in us a thankful heart? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at a Bible verse. Surprisingly enough, there's a perfect one. Well, just like there is every single week that tells us exactly what that looks like. Because, and I love this story so much. In fact, I, I was looking back in past weeks that we've been together, and I'm surprised we've never talked about this story. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire New Testament. Uh, but but we, we've talked about it, but we've never really dug into it. So I'm super excited. But, but the reason why I like this story is because not everyone gets it right. This isn't one of those stories where there's a hero, and, and he gets it right, or she gets it right the whole way, and we just need to emulate this and they're our model. Just do it like him, and you'll be just right. No, this is a group of guys. Only one out of ten got it right. 
You know what I'm talking about? Exactly, the story of the ten lepers. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up, or you can aim your phone at that little QR code. It'll open up our sermon notes, or you can just watch on the screen. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Luke, chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read the passage for us, and then we're going to dig in and see what it looks like to develop a thankful heart. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole story for us first, and then we're going to dig in and pick it apart. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Y'all ready? Now, on his way to Jerusalem, stop, just real quick. This is super important. You remember Jesus lived roughly 33 years. The last three years of his life, those were his years of ministry. Remember that? He, the entire three years, he is making his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he would give his life on the cross, die and resurrect, giving us the opportunity to have eternal life with him. That is the goal. That is where he's moving. And we are days away from him getting there. So I promise you, every step, every conversation, every event that happened in these last days of these three years was crucial. So when we read here that Jesus happened to go a certain way, happened to stop at a certain village, none of that was by accident. None of that was coincidence. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly where he was going. Okay, let me start again. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, alarm, alarm, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a certain village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Or another version, your faith has saved you. All right, that's the story. Probably, probably not a new story for you. In fact, I hope it wasn't because that will enable us to dig even deeper into what God's teaching us here. I believe in this story alone from from the good, the bad, and the ugly, those that got it right and those who did not get it right, we're going to learn what it looks like to develop a thankful heart because that is a virtue that many of us in our society and maybe even right here in this room have forgotten. So please, please pay attention. First of all, we need to understand uh, our our plea or even our our posture before God as we come to him with a need, with a desire, with a prayer, uh, with a problem. Uh, How do we approach God with our need? Let's, Let's look back at the guys and how they did it. The Bible says, And while they were still a long way off, they began to shout and to yell loudly. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, when, 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 you're, when you bring your request to God, there are some of us that get to be up close and some of us that have to stand far back. I mean, the ones that have a, a visible problem, something in their life, something in their past, something that everyone knows about, as soon as you look at them, you know, and because of that, they're standing a long way off, and that's why there are some who stand way off and yell, and others that get up close. I mean, the good boys and girls that have gone to church and, and paid their tithe and, and tried to be good, they get to whisper in the ear of God, and those that have been naughty and are far away from God, they got to stand back and yell to God. Is, is that what God's trying to say? No, not at all. 
they were not standing far away because of Jesus' sake. Jesus ain't scared of them. Oh, the whole world was scared of lepers. You get too close to them, you're going to catch it. It was a horrible, disgusting, uh, terminal disease. It, it was, it, in fact, you couldn't even look at them. They were forced to cover up what was still left on their body, what parts had not fallen off yet. They were forced to cover it up. Everyone knew them. Jesus wasn't afraid of that. In fact, Jesus, he would walk into a funeral. Holy men never went to funerals and much less never got near dead things. Jesus walked into a funeral, put his hand right on the coffin because you know what? He ain't scared. He's not scared of your problem. He's not scared of your past. He's not scared of your disease. He's not scared of what happened and who you are and where you've come from. Jesus loves you and he wants to come close to you. So he doesn't say you got to stand off. In fact, if anything, this was their hang up and not Jesus hang up. Jesus saying, come near to me. Come close to me. Wherever you are, and if you don't feel comfortable coming close to him, that's fine. If you've got to stand far away off, then yell at the top of your lungs, Jesus will hear you. Our plea is so important. But listen to what they said. They said three things. Jesus, master, and have mercy on us. The word Jesus is important. They started with that word. Why did they say Jesus? Well, because they were speaking to Jesus, obviously. But this is incredibly important for our society, our culture today. We have so many great powers that be that we might call out to. Oh, powers that be. Oh, great power in the sky. Oh, Mother Earth. Oh, Governor so-and-so. Oh, senator so-and-so, oh, mayor, oh, politician, oh, whatever, oh, pastor, oh, oh, religious expert, whatever it is, we may call it to all things, but you may remember if you've been here at all, we've recently redone our church's vision mission statement. It, it says this, we are becoming fully devoted followers of Christ by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and by blessing our world. That whole idea of believing in Christ alone is incredibly important to me. Why? Because in the old days, we used to think, well, those of us in the church, in the family of God, we had it right. We believed in Jesus. Everyone outside of the church, they were godless, heathen, didn't believe in anything. That is not true. Your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, the folks outside of the family of God, it is not true that they don't believe in anything. They believe in all kinds of things. They believe in themselves. They believe in their money. They believe in hard work. They believe in certain political ideals. They believe in all kinds of things. But we're saying that for us, we're going to narrow our focus and say we're believing in Jesus and Jesus alone. So these guys get that, and they're calling out specifically to Jesus. Good. First step. Second, they say master. Again, an excellent word, because what they're saying with this is, we are, we are ascribing to you, Jesus, mastery not only over us. I can't fix my problems. This leprosy, I have scrubbed, I have scraped, I have chopped, I have called out to every God I could imagine. I have paid every doctor, every penny I had, and I can't fix my problem. I'm saying you have mastery over my problem, uh, over me, but we're also saying that he has mastery over our problems. Now, you probably don't struggle with leprosy. Probably. But to you, your problem is as big as leprosy. And Jesus has mastery over that problem. That illness, that sickness, that, that isolation, that hurt, that pain, that past experience in your life, whatever is going on, you are ascribing him mastery, control, authority over that. But this is what they said. Very interesting, their, their plea, what they're actually asking him for. They say, oh, Jesus, master, have mercy on me. 
Well, that's, that's not a bad thing to ask. It's, it's kind of spiritual and religious. It's kind of nice. And who wouldn't want to have the mercy of Jesus spoken over them? That's nothing wrong with it. But I just don't know if that's the first thing I would have gone for. I mean, if I had Jesus himself standing right before me and I had this major problem on my arm or my leg or on my body, I think I might have asked for, for healing or, or maybe some more money because the poor guys, they had nothing, uh, some food, maybe some shelter, some new clothes. Maybe, oh, Jesus, give me one more minute with my wife. Jesus, give me one more minute with my kids before I go. I haven't seen them in years. Give me one minute where they're not afraid to look at me. I mean, there could have been any number of things they asked for, and yet they asked for mercy. What is that about? You may remember we've talked about this word mercy in the Bible. In English, it's mercy. In Greek, it's splanchnitsomai. That's a mouthful, I know. But what it means is to ask someone else to feel the pain that you are feeling. But not just feel the pain. You're saying, I would like you to feel in your guts, we might say in English. In, in the old days, they would say in your innards. <laughs> We're saying, Jesus, feel in your innards the pain that I am feeling right now. What kind of pain were they feeling? Everything from physical to emotional, even to spiritual pain because of all they've gone through. This is what they're asking Jesus to do. You know what his answer was? Yes, I'll do it. Not just for these 10 guys. He'll do it for you. He knows your true need. He knows, he knows your pain. He knows your need. And he knows what is best to do for it. They were saying, Jesus, feel me. Jesus, walk in my shoes. Jesus, know me. There's no greater need in, in mankind, womankind, than to know and be known by God, to fall in the mercy of the court and beg for God to feel what you're feeling. This my brothers and sisters, this is the beginning of a thankful heart. How we approach God with our needs, how we approach God with our problems, how we approach God with our prayer, a, a sense of not only gratefulness, but already anticipation that he and he alone is able to change our situation. Second of all, let's keep going in verse 14. Jesus responds, look at verse 14. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. So this is interesting. Jesus sees them. I, I don't really understand why this is such a big deal. I mean, literally everyone saw them. In fact, I don't want to ruin your lunch or anything. Before you saw them, you smelled them. Uh, here in the first world, very few of us have spent much time around rotting flesh. Everything's so clean and so prepared and dead things are whisked away before we experience much. In the second and the third world, they know what rotting flesh smells like. It would have been 10 of these guys. It would have been overwhelming. But the Bible says he saw them. Who didn't see them? Their sin, their sickness, their disease, it was obvious to all. Everyone saw them. Yeah, well, duh, of course you saw them, Jesus. We all see them. We turn away. We hide our eyes. We avoid them like the plague. They don't fit in our society. They don't fit in our culture. They don't fit in our church. They don't belong. But the Bible says Jesus saw them. It's that special word for see. It's not that word like you and I. We, we look at things 
This, this word for see means to, to look into things. Actually, probably a better translation for you and me in English is to perceive. Jesus perceived them. He saw exactly what was going on, not only on their skin. Everyone saw that. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew their sin or their sickness or their problem. That was obvious to everyone. Jesus looked into their heart. He looks into your heart, too. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what needs to be done. He knows exactly what needs to be healed and changed. The problem is when we pray, we pray in our own expectations, not too different than a Coke machine. I, I, I drink Diet Coke, so I want a Diet Coke. I go up to a Coke machine. I swipe my credit card. I push C19, and I expect a Diet Coke to pop, to pop out. I swipe my credit card. I punch C19, and a Diet Mr. Pib comes out. You can imagine how frustrating that is to a Diet Coke drinker. I don't want to die at Mr. Pibb. I paid my money. I pushed the correct numbers. I want a Diet Coke to pop out, doggone it. Does that sound at all like your prayer time? You prayed specifically for what you want. You've already paid for that prayer. All the effort you've given, all the money you've given, all the investment you've given at your church, doggone it. I want my Diet Coke. Prayer is nothing like a Coke machine. God's answers are nothing like Diet Coke. Certainly not like Diet Dr. Pibb, because that's like of the devil. But <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. God is, God is nothing like that. God knows what you want, and he will give you what he knows is best for you. But then he says something else. He says, go. Now, we understand this word go. All through the Old Testament, God was always saying to his, his, his uh, prophets, uh, the guys, even the gals that he was speaking to, often God would start with one guy, one gal. It would reach their excuse me, their family, their, their people, and even, even the entire people of God. So, so this is pretty typical. God would say, go, and, and they would go because you know how it is. You can't go with God and at the same time stay where you are or who you are. We've said that many, many times all through the Old Testament, even the New. So this idea of, of Jesus telling them to go, this is nothing new. But where was he telling them to go? This is incredibly important. When he's telling them to go, he's telling them for a reason because a lot of times we think this going is all about the adventure, uh, going on the adventure with God, like it's some kind of magical quest, mythical quest like we read about in, in stories. A lot of times these quests involve hobbits, but, but these hobbits, they go on quests, they, they're going to seek a ring, they're going to seek adventure, they're going to seek a treasure, maybe the hobbits are going to save some fair maiden, and when they reach their goal and they save the fair maiden, they find the ring, then they are rewarded with what they've asked for. Here's the deal. You ain't a hobbit, and this isn't some kind of mythical quest. When Jesus tells you to go, it is simply for this reason, to watch your obedience. Those steps of faith before anything has happened, that is the key to obedience, and the obedience is the key to seeing God move in your heart. And let me tell you exactly why. He said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Again, what in the world does that mean? Why would a bunch of sick guys have to go to the priest and show them? What in the world does that mean? 2,000 years after it happened, it just doesn't compute in our brain. What does that mean? Think about it. In 2,000 years, when they're reading about 2021 Cape Coral, and they read the statement, go and show your COVID pass to your boss. They're not going to have any idea what that means, but you and I know exactly what that means. You started coughing, you started sneezing, you got tested, you went to the hospital, they made you quarantine, you feel like you're all better, but your boss still doesn't want you back until 
You go to the doctor and he or she gives you that stamp of approval. You are now safe to return to work. This is what they were doing. Jesus said, listen, I want you to go show that you're all better, you're all clean, you're all healed, and then you can come back to your families. The priests were in charge of that kind of a thing. Perfect. Wait a minute. They haven't been healed yet. They haven't been cleaned yet. Why would he send them there before anything even happened? They're still lepers. Everyone knows it. Nothing's changed. Nothing's different. The old man is still there. They're not yet the new man. Why in the world would they take one step in the direction of the priest until it's been fixed? Why does God call a a young man to, to ask a young woman if she'll marry him? way before he's even able to take care of himself, much less a, a new bride. Why does God tell a, a, a sweet young couple, you know, it's time. It's time to bring a baby into the world. I have such big plans for you and for him, for you and for her, and they can't even take care of each other, much less a baby. Why does God ask a little bitty church to reach not only Cape Coral, but the entire world when they have trouble even taking care of themselves way too soon? Because God has big plans. It's not about you or that young family or that young man. It's about the plans that God has. God knew in his heart what was already going to happen. It was up to these men to take him at his word and take that first step step in faith. Let's keep going. There's more. That first step, number three, it it comes down to our obedience. Again, look at verse 14 one more time. Jesus saw them. He said to them, go show yourself the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. This whole as they went is huge. Folks, if if there's any piece you pull out of this story, this is a piece I want you to go with. As they went, they were healed. It wasn't at the first step, probably not the second. Maybe they started to feel something at step number three. But it wasn't until they were well on their way that one of them looked down and said, Hey, Tom, I, th- I thought you lost your middle finger last week. What? And he said, You're right. Oh my gosh, I got my right hand back. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to get too graphic. But, but suddenly, they weren't their old self. Suddenly, they were their new self. And then they're pointing, and they're ripping off their scars, and they're ripping off their scarves, and the, and the, and the cloth, and they're looking at each other. Look, I'm whole again. I'm whole again. I'm whole again. And, and by now, they're running, and they're jumping, and they're screaming, and they're laughing, and all the excitement of what is to come in their life. And they keep running to the priests. Well, not all of them. One of them decides to come back, but it is not uh, the, the, the new man, uh, sorry, the old man must begin believing as the new man with that first step. Gratitude starts even before the blessing. Uh, uh, it is as we go on the commanded road that we experience the commanded blessing. As the church goes out in faith and in obedience, we shall be healed. This week, uh, one of our very own had this experience. I won't, I won't mention the name if it was, but I will, I will tell you about Linda and Mo. Mo has been struggling with his health and has been deteriorating for some time. Linda, his sweet, awesome, powerful, powerful wife, has been loving on him well. He's been in hospitals and rehab and back, and now he's just come home from rehab into hospice, and, and God bless her, Linda has not missed a beat. And in the midst of all this, and in the midst of all of her questioning, why now, why so long, why this specific rehab center when we really thought we would be in a different one, in the midst of all this, old Mo has a roommate. Now, I'll let, I'll let this roommate tell his own story. He'll be here, I think, very soon. But this roommate was far away from God. That didn't affect Linda one bit. 
as Linda was turning Big Mo around in the bed because Mo wouldn't listen to the nurses, he wouldn't listen to the doctors, and he sure wasn't going to listen to the CNAs. Little bitty, Mo, little bitty Linda's in the bed turning Mo over, calling over her shoulder to, her, to the roommate, telling him about Jesus. Well, it didn't work the first day or the second, even the first week, not the second. But by the end of her time there and all the conversations, she even brought me in to kind of talk to him a couple times. And and he was this close to accepting Christ. He was this close to becoming a believer. Two nights ago, the night before Mo was to come home into hospice care at their home, Linda's sharing again. And he said, no, 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 it's too late. Well, what do you mean it's too late? No, no, I already prayed last night. I'm already a believer. I'm a Christian now. She said, really? When did you do that? Well, you told me so many times. Even your pastor came by. So last night I prayed. I hope that's okay. Again, I'm, I'm going to let this brother tell his own story and give his own name. I don't feel you know, comfortable sharing that now. But, but this is an incredible story. This guy is now your brother. We'll get to spend some time with him here, but we'll get to spend eternity hearing his whole story in heaven, all because in the midst of something that she didn't plan, she didn't want, she didn't orchestrate, she chose to be faithful and obedient. And in this situation, we now have a new brother in Christ. God is calling us. But there was one, let's finish with this last idea. There was one of these 10 who did get it right. Look at verses 15 and beyond real quickly. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, he returned. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well, or your translation may say, your faith has saved you. All right, this is incredibly important. We need to understand this about the one that that, that got it right. Let's look, first of all, what what happened. First of all, he glorifies God, then he fell down at Jesus' feet, and then he gives thanks. The glorifying of God is that word uh, doxology. If you're old-timey Christian, you remember at the end of of a worship service, you would sing that song, the doxology, you know, ascribing praise and and honor. Actually, it means to, to ascribe weight to, honor to someone. He's saying here, listen, you did this. This is all you, Jesus. It wasn't me. It wasn't my faith. It wasn't my walk. It wasn't my hard work. It wasn't because I called out to you. It wasn't because I gave a bunch of money at church. This is all you. The entire weight, responsibility, and honor is yours. Secondly, he said, the Bible says he fell down. The word for fall down is the word pipto. One of my favorite Greek words, pipto, just because it sounds funny, but it means literally to collapse, to, to, to melt in front, to crumble in front of somebody, not, not to lay down or not to prostrate yourself, even to kneel down and do the Tebow. None of the, it means literally to crumble down as if there's nothing in me that can hold myself up in front of a God of this magnitude and this power. Teenager would say, dead, <laughs> finished. I am nothing in front of you. This is not only all you, Jesus, but I am nothing in front of you. And then the Bible says he gave thanks. Eucharisto, thankful for God's grace. Here's the deal. That word thankful means that we are ascribing to him the grace to change my situation. If we don't say thank you, that means that we somehow deserved his salvation, deserved his healing, deserved that miracle. Somehow I have earned that. And you see how that quickly leads to pride. If we don't express that to God, it might 
communicate to him or communicate to others that we somehow deserve all the blessings that we have when this guy got it perfectly. But wait, what about the other nine? Let's not let them off the hook so quickly. In fact, Jesus himself, he's, he seemed to kind of throw them under the bus, right? Well, I, I thought I healed 10 of you guys. Where are the other nine? Why didn't they come back? Why did only this one guy, not just, he's not even a believer, he's, he's from another culture, another faith, and even he knows he's supposed to come back. Here's the deal. These guys had had an incredibly intense, powerful, personal, life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. I mean, unlike almost any other story in the Bible, Jesus radically changed them in, in just a matter of a few minutes. I mean, these guys were able for the first time probably in years to return home, see their spouses, their children, their parents, return to normal life. I mean, this was unheard of, unheard of in that day and age. And the last things this miracle worker, this life changer, this guy that gave them back their life, the last thing he said to them, the last words out of his mouth is, go and show yourself to the priest. I'm sure they're thinking, well, if this guy made this difference in my life and he did this for me, the least I can do is be obedient to him. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to follow the ritual. I'm going to follow the words and do what he told me. Well, that's not bad. But it's so much about rule following that we miss the presence of Jesus. Uh, Spurgeon said it this way, external religious exercises are easy enough. But internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obeyed ritual, but only one praised the Lord. It is not about ritual. It is not about attrition. It is not about following laws. It is about knowing Jesus. Ten met Jesus. Only one returned to love Jesus. Ten had a religious experience. Only one worshiped and praised God. Ten were cleansed, but only one was saved. What was the difference between the nine and the one? The Bible says he returned and Jesus proclaimed over him, you were all cleansed. I fixed your problem. Only one of you is saved. Eternal salvation. For today, the fixing, cleaning, but for all eternity, you will spend with me. That happens because God loved him and he loved God, not just for the gift he got, he got, but also for the relationship he was allowed to have with him. And so he returned. I want you to see it this way. In fact, a perfect picture of this that we do Every week is, is the worship team up here. As they're leading us in worship, we all sing along. Some of us sing louder than others. Some of us are embarrassed about our voice. Some should be embarrassed, but we still sing loudly enough. But others of us, you might see some, some will put up a hand. Some will put up both hands. Some come down to the stairs and they'll lay down. Some will sit down and put their head down and, and do all kinds of crazy things. You might think, what in the world is that about? I don't, I don't get that. Well, you don't know. You don't know what's going on in their hearts. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what Jesus has just saved them out of. Here's the deal. That whole thankful for stuff, that's kindergarten stuff. I'm thankful for the candy you just gave me. I'm thankful for the Christmas present grandma just bought me. I'm thankful for the sun that makes it warm. That's kindergarten stuff. That's where it begins. As we graduate and grow in our faith, we move to the stage of thankful in. 
thankful in a situation that we don't want to be in. God, I'm thankful that you are here with me. I don't want to be in this broken relationship. I don't want to be in this hospital bed. I don't want to be in this job that, that sucks the very life of me. I don't want to be in this, but I'm thankful because you are here with me and you're molding me and changing me and changing my situation. And then the graduate level stuff. This is a goal. This is where we're headed. Thankful in spite of. And these are the things that, that can't change anymore. That, that spouse, that child, that close family member that has been taken, they're, they're no longer here. That, that relationship that is irrevocably broken, that can never be repaired, that, that loss that can never be given back. God, in spite of that, I don't understand it. I don't want it. I wish it was different, but I can thank you in spite of that. This is all evidence. So when you see some of us here raising a hand or closing our eyes or kneeling before the throne of God, they're going through these kind of things, or God has just brought them through those kind of things, and that's what God wants all of us to do, and that all begins with a thankful heart. Folks, I, I honestly don't know how we could forget this, it being the very keys to the kingdom of God. It being the very, the very first thing that we're taught in kindergarten, and yet with the busyness of the world and the busyness of our lives and the, the pride in our own hearts, thinking we deserve what we get, it is forgotten. So it is my prayer for you and for me that we would remember all that God gave us and that we would share that with him and share that with others, that God would know how grateful we are for the salvation that he's given us and the beautiful family that we have here. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we are here. I thank you that you speak clearly through your word. I thank you, Father, that though there were 10 who received cleansing, there was at least one who received salvation. God, that is so like our own experience here on this earth at this time. God, I pray that uh, in spite of the worldly odds, <laughs> we would trust you in faith knowing that you are are changing us. God, I pray that each one here would strive to be that one, that we would stop our forward momentum to go back and thank the one that allowed us to move forward in our, in our lives, in our relationships, in our jobs. God, nothing we have is from ourselves. It all comes from you. And for that, Jesus, we are thankful. God, create in us such a thankful heart that it is evident to all. The community and the city comes to know this church as thankful church. God, that we may even need to change our name <laughs> one day because that has become our reputation, a church of eternal gratitude for all that we've been given. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.